Please be seated. Welcome to Christ the King. We are in a sermon series on Revelation. I've managed to avoid preaching the first three Sundays of that series, and uh, so I'm up to bat. Uh, Revelation chapter 12 will be our text. You may want to have that in front of you. It seems to me there's a common theme in many fantasy stories. The common theme goes something like this, that there is some larger world that's out there but unknown to most people. So think Harry Potter, for instance. Uh, through getting on a uh, train station, uh, what is it, uh, King's Cross uh, platform, nine and three quarters, Harry is transported into a larger magical world with wizards and demons and dragons and all that sort of stuff. And everyone else, you and everybody else is completely unaware of this other world that's out there uh, and the battles that are going on there um, and just an unknown world. And surprisingly, this is a plot twist that shows up all the time. Think Chronicles of Narnia, another instance. There's an unknown larger world out there. And it makes us wonder, why do these same stories appeal to us? That there's something out there that you and I, if we just had eyes to see, we could see it. I think here's why it appeals. It, it, it gives us the hope that there's more to life than a nine-to-five job and retiring out in some sandy beach. It, it makes us think that you, our lives are woven and wrapped up in some larger cosmic thing that's going on. And here's a second reason why I think these stories appeal to us, these stories of some larger world that's out there that we cannot see. I think it appeals to us because it's true. That's why. Let's look at our passage. Revelation chapter 12, verses 1 and following, verses 7 and following. Now there arose a great war in heaven. A great war with great villains. Satan, a dragon. A great war with a great hero, Michael, God, the Lamb. And that's what we're going to look at today, the war in heaven. We're going to start by looking at the great villain, Satan. Now, C.S. Lewis, he reflects on, uh, he wrote this book, The Screwtape Letters, and he says, the human race falls into two errors when thinking about the devil or not thinking about the devil. Number one is we ignore him completely. We think, uh, God, maybe, devil, definitely not. Like, we've given that up a long time ago. And as, as biblical Christians, that is just not an option. Uh, and, and as clear-thinking people, that's just not an option. There is too much bad that happens in the world. See the, what seems to be another racially motivated hate crime in, in New York. There is just too much wickedness in the world for us to think it's just us chickens. And further, the Bible gives clear testimony to the fact that there is a personal malevolent force that is opposed to God. So to Lewis's first point, to ignore, that's not really an option. The second option is, or second error, is that we give an undue fascination, that we think uh, everything is a cause, a cause by or attributed to the devil. Maybe you've heard people say, well, that's, that's a result of spiritual warfare. Something bad happens. We, I've heard that. Some, I probably have even said that. But in hindsight, I think, well, Maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, maybe it was just bad luck. Two opposite errors, one is to ignore, two is to be fascinated and to give the devil undue credit. And we should not do either. We should be clear thinking, 
followers of Christ who look at what the Bible says, who are aware that there is something, someone called the devil, and we should be aware of what he does and ready to respond. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at Satan, that great dragon. What does he do? What does God do? What did God do? Pardon me, let me get my uh, verb tenses correct. What Satan did, what did God do? Then we'll look at what Satan does and what we should do. Follow along in some sermon notes that are printed in your service leaflet. So what did the devil do? Satan, the great dragon. From our passage, the devil has two main activities. Activity number one is he deceives the whole world. Do you see that in verse nine? He is called the deceiver of the world. Second activity of the devil, this is in verses 10. He accuses, and he accuses the saints both day and night. So two activities. Deception and accusation. Let's think a little bit about each one of those. First time we encounter the devil is in Genesis chapter 3. And what do you think the devil is doing? He is deceiving the people of God. So you know the story. I'll be brief. Genesis chapter 3. God made Adam and Eve in a garden. And into the garden strolls a dragon. And it was a dragon. It wasn't a snake. He came out a snake. He came in a dragon. Remember the curse? You will crawl on your belly. You will have no arms or legs. Well, that curse has to have something, a punishment, and his punishment was on the belly. He came in as a dragon. That's the first time you and I encountered the dragon. And again, you know the story. Don't touch this tree, says God. Devil walks in, and his approach to Adam and Eve is simply this. Really? Are you... Can you be sure? Like, how do you know? Notice there's no frontal assault. The devil does not say, you know what? God's just a liar. He's a bad guy. He does not say God doesn't exist. He simply casts a little shade of doubt, a little scoff, a little sneer. Really? Hmm? Is God good? Can you believe him? Are you certain? And the rest is history. That's all it took was just a little cast of shade, a little shade cast on the goodness of God and his character. And Adam and Eve, and you and me, we buy it hook, line, and sinker. Is God real? Can he be trusted? Is he relevant? Eh, maybe so, maybe not. Deception. First attack. Second attack is accusation. He accuses the saints day and night. And when we, the devil shows up in the Bible, this is what he's doing. It's, it's interesting in the, throughout the pages of scripture, God and the devil are often talking to one another. So Job and Satan, or, or excuse me, in the book of Job, Satan and God are talking to one another. God says, look at my servant Job. He's a pretty upstanding guy. Satan responds, well, you know, He's just good because you've been good to him. This is in Job chapter 1. Take away everything that you've done for him, and he will curse you to his face. He accuses. And again, this is throughout the pages of Scripture. This is what the devil does. And you note through our passage, it says in, in uh, Revelation chapter 12, he accuses day and night. So two-pronged attack. Number one, the devil convinces you and me that God's not good. And number two, he convinces us that we're not good. He makes it really easy to get into sin. Come on. Hmm. He makes it really hard to get out of. How could you? 
It's a very devilish attack. And that's what he did. So what does God do? We'll see what God did, and it's a, a fairly thorough defeat. Notice how many times you find the word defeated or something like that. He was defeated, verse 8. He was thrown down, uh, verse 9. He was conquered. In other words, it wasn't, it wasn't a close call. He was thoroughly defeated, right? God defeated the devil. If you and I were present on Good Friday when Jesus died, we would have seen a man... Uh, horribly disfigured, dying on a cross. That would have been the facts of that day. If we had eyes to see that larger world that Revelation opens to us, you know what we would have seen? We would have seen Revelation chapter 12. We would have seen the defeat of the devil. Maybe you've seen uh, that movie some years ago. I don't know if it's old enough to be called a classic, uh, but The Passion. Uh, too violent for my taste, but there was one thing the director did very well, and that is he showed the defeat of de the devil through the death of Christ. And so all throughout The Passion, you see this sinister figure sort of winding his way through the crowd, and he's sort of licking his lips as the cross gets nearer and nearer, and he thinks, ah, now my time has come. Only at that, that final moment when Christ dies, that the table's turned and uh, the devil is cast out of heaven and he's cast into hell. Notice what the passage says of how the devil is defeated. Do you see the two things? He's defeated by first, the blood of the lamb. Second, he's defeated by the testimony of the saints. I think there's some parallelism parallelism going on. Remember the first attack of the devil? He accuses the saints of God. He tells God, you know what, your people, they're just not that good. They're weak, they're fickle, they're half-hearted, they're lukewarm, they don't deserve anything, they, don't, they deserve to be punished. To which God says, sure, okay. Punishment it is. But not them, another. Jesus. The blood of the lamb silences the accusations of the devil. The testimony of the saints. Remember the devil's assault? God's not that good. You can't trust him. Listen to what the author of Romans writes in Romans chapter 8. He says this. What shall we say? If God is for us, who can be against us? God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Will he not also graciously give us all things? Do you hear what the author is saying? He said, you want assurance? You want testimony that God is good? Look, look how good he is. The cross both silences the accusations of the devil and it silences the deception of the devil. You and I are declared good by the blood of the Lamb. You and I are assured of God's goodness by the blood of the Lamb. That is the defeat of the devil, and that is what God did. Now let's think next. What is the devil doing now? And you'll notice that our passage does not say that the devil was destroyed. The passage says that the devil was cast out of heaven and came to earth. And we may question the logic there, like 
thanks? Couldn't we just have done with, away with the devil altogether? Apparently not. For a short time, the devil has a short leash. And he has a short leash here. And he has a, it's, we're in the, our passage concludes by saying the devil is, is still active here and he's mad because he knows his time is short. And what do you think the devil is doing now? My hunch is he's doing the same things that he's always done. And that is he is deceiving the people of God and he is accusing the people of God. Have you ever wondered, is God real? Have you ever wondered, is God good? Have you ever wondered if God is relevant? Have you ever wondered if God matters? Do you ever wonder if God cares? Do you ever wonder if God sees? Of course you do. Because that's what it's like to live here in a land, in a world that's obscured in some ways by the deceits of the devil. And I'm not suggesting that every flitting doubt that, you, that crosses between our ears is some direct satanic attack. I'm not suggesting that at all. I am suggesting that in a world where God's reign is not fully established, that you, this world with devils filled, you and I will doubt the good character of God. That's what it means to be here. And you and I need something more than unicorns and rainbows and uh, pretty sunsets to assure us that God is, in fact, good. You need something solid. You need something established to tell you. You want to know how God, good God is? Just look. Look at the cross. Look, he gave his own son. Consider his goodness to you. Further, have you ever felt accused? Have you ever felt, have you ever laid awake at night kicking yourself for something you've done or not done or said or shouldn't have said? This hasn't happened to me recently, but on more than one occasion, Jennifer, has, my wife, has caught me talking to myself as I get ready for the day uh, in, in the bathroom. And she'll say, honey, who are you talking to? No one. But what I'm doing in those, those strange moments is I'm defending myself against some unknown accuser. I'm having some imaginary conversation with some guy that I didn't even know. And I don't think I'm crazy. And I think other people have the same kind of uh, argument with themselves to uh, justify themselves, to tell them, you're okay, you're good, you don't... You, I, we all feel like we're accused. And there's not enough self-help, there's not enough self-talk to make you think otherwise. You need something solid. You need something verifiable. I think what our passage would suggest is, well, you need to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. And those who are washed in the, in the blood of the Lamb can say, you know what? To those voice, that voice of accusation, they can say, you know what? You're right. <laughs> At the end of the matter, I'm just not all that I wish I could be. And there are plenty of things that I've done I wish I hadn't done, said I wish I hadn't said. But I'm, I'm beloved by God. 
The Savior died for me, and by his blood I am declared free, forgiven, and justified. The devil is up to his same tricks, deceiving and accusing. And we should be aware that our defense against the assaults of the devil is the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ is uh, the testimony to God's goodness. And the cross of Christ is his assurance that we are declared good, holy, and righteous. So, the next time you find yourself wondering about God, is he good, does he care, is he relevant? The next time you find yourself kicking yourself, accusing yourself, having an imaginary conversation or having a real conversation with some imaginary accuser, I encourage you to turn to what Bishop Melito said. That's the Bishop of Sardis. I've cited this before. He wrote in the year 160 AD. And so here we come to a close. Bishop Melito writes this. When Jesus suffered for our sake, when he was judged for the sake of the condemned, that's you and me, when he rose again from the dead, he cried out, who will enter judgment against me? Let him stand. I have set the condemned free. I have given the dead life. I have raised up those who are entombed. So who will speak against me? I, the Christ, I have dissolved death. I have triumphed over, en over every enemy. I have trodden down Hades. I have bound the great dragon. I have carried off my brothers and sisters to the heights of heaven. So look to Jesus and his cross. And know for certain that God is good. And by the blood of the Lamb, you and I are declared good. Please rise.